Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Herschel McGriff downshifted his ton and a half 1974 Dodge Charger around the sharp Tetra Rouge corner. The 600 horsepower big block 426 chugged loudly. It was running rough and McGriff was worried. Lucky for him, the Hemi did what he asked it. He mashed the gas and let the beast loose. The built for NASCAR monster stock car ripped down the Mulsanne straight, flying past tiny Porsches and BMWs. On the long straight, Herschel got the Dodge up to more than 200 miles per hour, an unheard of speed on the track, but the motor was starting to sputter. As Herschel powered the heavy Dodge down the track on the 90 degree June day, the temperature needle buried into the red. On the second lap, disaster struck. A piston exploded out of the motor and the engine bay burst into flames. He steered off the track and watched as the tiny European competitors zipped past him, almost silently compared to the cacophony the Hemi had been making moments before. How did the 1970s oil embargo lead to a couple of Americans bringing big block muscle cars to Le Mans? How did Ferrari rage quitting Le Mans in 1973 lead to NASCAR racing in France? Just how well did the big block bruisers do against tiny Le Mans cars? We're bringing oval power to the Eiffel Tower. It's le gaz passé. That's past gas in French, y'all. Past gas podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. It's past gas in France, y'all. <laughs> le petrol passé. So they don't say they don't say petrol in France. Well, you know, if we expand donut. To a global operation with multiple languages all across the planet maybe there'll be a french leaning past gas with that title yeah i love alliteration so if we can make that happen that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) that just reminds me on like the first episode of wheelhouse we were talking about uh you know why sports cars are red and there was like a French news article back in the day that was talking about one of these first races. Like uh, we talked about it. Yeah. Hey, welcome to, welcome to Eclair Media. The Paris to Peking. Peking to Paris, right? And we had uh, Louis uh, <laughs> read the news article because he's French, but it was in English. Yeah, we didn't have him read it in French. We had him read it in English with a French accent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Interesting creative decision. It was a funny bit. Good bit. Um, yeah, I apologize for any French that I'll butcher in this episode because I did what? not. You're going to butcher Frenchman? I'm going to butcher Frenchman. 
Who are you, King George? I'm going to butcher the French language uh, because I did not take French in high school. I don't know how any of these words work. This is Pass Gas. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Holst. I'm your host, Nolan Sykes. That's French for host. That is French. I nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) We've been studying all week. (laughs) Joining me, as always, are my two co-hosts, James Pumphrey. Bonjour, monsieurs. You're back this week. Mm Mm-hmm. And Joe Weber. Keep it juiced, Winkwick Nation. Uh, wait for my signal and mobilize. <laughs> what? Don't, don't think too much about it. I'm not going to. I, I like the mystery. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're talking about NASCARs at Le Mans. This is like putting chocolate and peanut butter, you know, as far as like car nerd history goes. Together? Two flavors you wouldn't expect to go great together. Kind of do all right together. Everyone understands that peanut butter and chocolate go together well. Yeah. I think it's like putting a, a hamburger on a baguette. Yeah. Oh, nice, okay. dude. Okay. Yeah. A chopped cheese on a on a croissant. Yeah. It's like putting a, putting a <laughs> hot dog in an eclair. <laughs> it's like putting pickles on a peanut butter sandwich. Apparently, that is pretty good. I haven't tried it. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll get into it. This story, like all car stories that happened in the 1970s, starts with the 1973 oil embargo. The embargo focused mostly on English-speaking countries, but at the end of the day, everyone got burned. Gas prices went up globally by more than 300%. And you can buy the t-shirt at Mm donutmedia.com. Join the mailing list for discounts uh, and make sure you don't miss anything. We're releasing a new item every week. As we all know by now, the oil crisis was a shock to the fuel-guzzling system and altered everything from how cars were manufactured to how they were raced. Big cars got little, big motors got little, emission systems were birthed, snaking their hoses and wires into every vehicle, robbing them of horsepower. And it just got worse and worse. Beyond affecting what Americans had in their driveway, the oil crisis also affected motorsport. A complete shutdown of auto racing was looming over the entire industry, and its leaders had to act fast. NASCAR officials began negotiating with the Federal Energy Office, and they agreed on some basic rules. It was decided that races would be cut by 10% in length, and teams would have practice times to reduce fuel consumption. For now, NASCAR raced on. Across the Atlantic, the 24 Hours of Le Mans was also going through its own negotiations to try and reduce the flow of that sweet Texas tea. Race organizers started laying down the law, specifically the law of fuel conservation. The new rules stated that all cars had to complete 20 laps without refueling. That's about 170 miles of driving and works out to about 7 miles per gallon overall. That was a fuel efficiency increase of about 25% over the year before, when most teams would refuel after 16 laps. And to top it off, the organizers slash fuel tank sizes, forcing teams to make the changes in the motors and not in the gas tanks. Dang, seven miles per gallon? That's like a lot for a race car in the 70s. Yeah. This, I mean, 20 laps of Le Mans seems, I mean, Le Mans is a super long track. Mm-hmm. Obviously not as long as like the Nürburgring, but it's it's up there. It's a, it's a big. Should we, should we bet on how long Nürburgring or uh, Le Mans is? How long do you think Le Mans is? I'm going to say 5.6 miles. Yeah, I'm going to say 5.622 miles. <laughs> hey, come on. 
I'm going to say it's like four and a half miles. 8.5 miles. Oh, my what? goodness. We were totally off. That's a long race. I fudged it so bad. I honestly did not realize how close it was to uh, like Nürburgring. That's only four, like four miles off Nürburgring, right? Do you guys want to know how far I am from Le Tut Rouge right now? Yes. All right, guess. 5,164 miles. Dolan? I'm going to say 7,000 miles. Joe, you were really close. I'm 5,600 miles away from La Tête Rouge. Ooh. Nobody figure out where I am based on that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we got some some creepsters triangulating. (laughs) Okay, we know he's in (laughs) this circle. Lamont had already set a three-liter motor cap in most classes, and with the new seven-mile-per-gallon limit, participants started to vanish from the track. The amount of entries dropped by about 20% instantly, and even more failed to show up later. It was very concerning to the organizers of the race that it started over 50 years ago in 1923. One huge change to the face of Le Mans was that Enzo Ferrari decided that enough was enough. He took his racing ball and went home. <laughs> After getting thoroughly embarrassed by the Ford team in the mid-60s, Porsche followed up with their own round of smacking Enzo's team on their little Italian <laughs> spaghetti behinds. <laughs> and, and with all that swirling around in his head, Enzo decided to peace out, as they say in Italy, uh, and refocus all of his efforts on Formula One, which paid off because Team Ferrari won 14 titles in the next few years. Hey, not a bad gamble. If you're going to be a baby and pull out of something, it helps that you, you really win something else. Yeah. yeah. So that makes me think like he's not even being a baby as much as I like to make fun of Enzo Ferrari. That's just him being like, you know what, guys, you made it lame. So I'm out. I'm going to go focus and be really good at this other thing. Yeah, that's business 102. That's an elective. (laughs) Back at Cirque de la Sarthe, not to be confused with Cirque de Soleil, they needed racers badly to keep the event afloat. So race organizers sat down with the rule books and wondered how they could wiggle around the requirements to get some new talent out on that track. And uh, Cirque de la Sarthe is where Le Mans is held. Uh-huh. And Cirque de Soleil is where um, people jump on balls and do trampolines. I want to go to that BMX Cirque de Soleil. That looks sick. They have a BMX Cirque de la Soleil? Yes. Cirque. <laughs> Cirque. <laughs> dude, I'm going. We're going to go, dude. Is it called Cirque de Cycle? Uh <laughs> It's called Cirque de Hoffman. <laughs> Joe, we go. You, just you and me. We get a hotel room in Vegas, but we accidentally buy tickets to like the the burlesque erotic Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> oh no! Looks like we're gonna be horny together. <laughs> In 1975, the Le Mans organizers gave Bill France Sr., the founder and manager of NASCAR, a call. <gasps> ring, ring. On le téléphone. <laughs> dial one. They had to dial one first. <laughs> Burn, dude. <laughs> What's this long old number coming up on my dang caller identification? <laughs> okay, guys, it's going to get a little confusing because the guy's name is Bill France and Lamar takes place in France. Okay, so 
Oh, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say Bill. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so they offered an exchange of classes between Bill France's 24 hours of Daytona and the country of France's Le Mans. <laughs> Bill France and the French made a deal. Uh, and as a test run, they would send two carefully selected teams to Le Mans to see what could happen. The idea was that they would create something all new, mainly because there was no way a couple of NASCAR drivers were going to show up with three-liter motors. In 1976, an illustrative example of an American three-liter motor was the 78-horsepower Ford Maverick, a pathetic car by any standard you hold it to. <laughs> Considering the BMW at the same time frame was making 170 horsepower with the same displacement motor. In the year, Golf was making... Exactly half that. <laughs> yeah, but it's a 1.8 liter motor, so it's almost exactly half the size. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but now it's making 327 horsepower. Dude, you literally times your horsepower by 10. That's awesome. Yeah, so now I have a 2.5 liter motor, so I can still go to the mall. Yeah. But I have two, three. I have way more than any of these guys now, so... <laughs> don't at me wink wink nation <laughs> i'm starting a beef with the wink wink nation <laughs> okay i'm a heel <laughs> Boo! <laughs> the grand international class was born and big chugging seven liter motors from nascar were greenlit and before big bill france even hung up the phone he knew exactly who he's gonna send to compete with Europe's elite racers. Enter the good old boys. The Lamont organizers may have been expecting the kind of refined teams that Ford sent with their beautiful GT40s back in the 60s. They would certainly be surprised by who turned up. <laughs> Grapes just falling out of their mouth. <laughs> 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 just spit out. Everyone just spitting out grapes. Like tons of grapes. <laughs> Bill France Sr. sent two teams. The first had absolutely dominated the K&N Pro Series West for years. The father-son McGriff duo, sponsored by Olympia Beer. Oh, nice. And just so y'all know, beer is our champagne. <laughs> <laughs> the second team was Junie Don LaVey's, made up of Richard Brooks and Dick Hutcherson who were riding high on 18 top 10 finishes in the first half of the 1976 season. Not too shabby. We're both named after penises. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Richard. He's Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Peter. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, our, that's my stepson. These weren't just some lead-foot circle racers being sacrificed to the windy road-driving Euro boys. They had a pedigree in road racing, so there was no surprise that they found themselves chosen for Le Mans. First up was Don LaVey's team. Junie Don LaVey left the Navy after World War II, and in 1950 launched Don LaVey Racing, where he gave lots of young racers their first real shot behind the wheel. Three of Don LaVey's drivers won Rookie of the Year honors, and a number of former and future NASCAR race winners drove for the team. The team was best known for the number 90 Ford. And in 1976, it was a Torino with a 429 cubic inch motor that pushed more than 600 horsepower to the wheels. Whoa, that's fun. 
Ooh wee. Ooh wee, baby. Ooh wee. You know that Cam. You know that Cam was a lopey boy. You know, just a chugga 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 chugga. Yeah, you know he's got a throaty low lumpy idol, baby. Like a dog, like a big old Great Dane lapping up his supper. I've never noticed that, but yes, big block motors with lopey cams do sound like. Fat dogs drinking water. (laughs) That's awesome. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. <laughs> Get it? With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Don LaVey brought a team consisting of Dick Hutcherson and Richard Brooks. Hutcherson was a familiar face at Le Mans. He co-drove the third GT40 to its surprising photo finish against Enzo Ferrari's team back in the day. Uh, Brooks was the 1969 Rookie of the Year and still riding high on a huge win at the 1973 Talladega 500. In the opposite corner of the ring was Team McGriff. Father-son duo Herschel and Doug McGriff were an easy choice for Bill France. Herschel was an old-school road racer and won the first-ever Carrera Panamericana in Mexico, which is a long road race similar to the Milamiglia and common referred to as the most dangerous race of any type in the world. How have we not done an episode on this yet? Yeah, we need an episode. Let us know... Uh in youtube comments no email us if you want us to do an episode on the carrera panamericana the most dangerous yeah yeah (laughs) that's right joe the most dangerous yeah 
While racing the Panamericana, McGriff met Bill France, and the NASCAR founder convinced him to give the circle track a try in 1954. That year, he dominated the Grand National Series with four big wins, the first coming at Bay Meadows Speedway. I wonder if that's still around. Then, McGriff nailed 17 top 10 finishes at 24 events. He effortlessly outranked Lee Petty, godfather of NASCAR and father of, not Tom Petty, Richard Petty, in points that year. (laughs) Herschel McGriff dipped out of NASCAR on a high note and was remembered fondly. Then, 10 years later, like a roaring phoenix, he returned to NASCAR in 1967. He showed up at Riverside, starting in the 41st position, but by lap 6, he had sped his way to second place. What? In six laps? Whoa. Well, he had a machine gun on the front of his car. (laughs) And a a cow catcher (laughs) just pushing people off. I'm going to assume that Herschel spent a lot of time. I mean, he was an old school road racer, so he probably spent his off time or spent a sabbatical from NASCAR behind the wheel of some sports cars. uh, And then he's basically a ringer in this case. He's also the first person in France to honk. And the French racers were so taken aback that they just got out of the way when he honked. (laughs) So after that year, everyone kind of caught on and we're like, we don't have to move out of the way. He's not in a hurry. We're all in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) Later on in the race, he claimed victory in a photo finish against Ron Grable, who had just won the SCCA National Championship runoffs. Together, the McGriff and Don LeVay teams packed their bags and their massive 1970s stock cars, and jumped a plane to France. As soon as the two teams arrived on French soil, they were the target of local attention. The two big cars were dubbed Les Deux Monsters. You probably guessed that means the two monsters. The cars were completely alien to the locals. These were vehicles made for racing, but they were the size of farm equipment and twice as loud. <laughs> seeing the Charger in Torino next to the tiny Porsches and BMWs was like seeing a giant Great Dane lap it up its supper next to a little ch- little <laughs> French Poudel. <laughs> if you've ever seen like a Porsche Le Mans, Le Mans car, it is so small. Locals swarm the cars like 80s mall kids swarmed Tiffany, which is a reference that I'm sure... Everyone in our audience gets. (laughs) Neither team could get a break. The town of Lamal hoisted the two cars onto flatbeds and paraded them down the main street for all to see. People pressed against the cars to look inside uh, and were either cheering them on or staring in shame at the American excess. Either way, those American boys brought the best of American. Yeehaw engineering with them. Griff took his son Doug's NASCAR-built Charger, complete with an insane 600-horsepower Hemi 426. Dunleavy brought his now-famous number 94 Torino, which held a 429-cubic-inch big block and also made more than 600 horsepower. The teams had to make a few changes to get up to code for Le Mans, which, compared to the hoops people jump through today to get their cars ready to race, were quite minimal. First... They added lights and windshield wipers for the nighttime and rain. Then they stuffed in a new set of radio gear to keep comms online. They lowered the compression in the motor a bit so that it would run a little bit smoother. And that was it. Pretty easy. It was like an American tourist buying a tiny little Speedo swimsuit and saying, Am I European now? And the answer? No, you're just very comfy. (laughs) And you look good. You can cut through the water like you were born to do. 
(laughs) However, at the driver's meeting before the race, a handful of Porsche drivers had one more change they demanded of the American setup. Now, because the Porsches were so low uh, and tiny, the drivers wanted the hulking American stock cars to throw in some side mirrors so that they wouldn't crush their tiny competitors during a high-speed merge or flatten them like bugs around a corner. Can you guys just, like, put on some mirrors or something? Because your cars are very big, and our cars are very small. And we did not know that we would be racing against such big cars, you know? Oh, my God, they're so big. Look at them. They're going to crush us. Maybe you'll just put on some mirrors or something. I don't know. I don't know. Like a mirror? Yeah, like a mirror. So you don't... I don't want to be a hassle or nothing, but maybe... Listen, I don't want to be a big hasselhoff, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to be a hassle. I want to be a hasselhoff. I want to be cool, you know? Hoff means not in German, so I prefer to be a not hassle. Uh, the Americans looked around, and they were like, ha, 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 no problem, little buddy. And they smacked him on the back really, really hard. And uh, the Porsche drivers pretended like it didn't really hurt. <laughs> McGriff, who was sponsored by Olympia Beer, the longtime sponsor of Evil Knievel, brought 15 cases of this stuff along with him. The manifesto had the boxes marked down as lubricant, which is exactly what he used that beer to do. Yeah, social lubricant. Yeah. When the other drivers would get gruff about the big cars or their mannerisms, he'd start handing out cans of beer to smooth over all the cultural differences. And then they tasted it, and they were like, this is garbage. It just tastes like... (laughs) Yeah. Why is it not warm? (laughs) I do not like this spicy wine. There's no real way to just compare the two styles of cars side by side. It would be like comparing a bull to a greyhound. Heavily favored in 1976 at Le was the all-new Porsche 936. It was a marvel of modern automotive technology. From the 2140cc flat-six turbo motor to the open-top Spider aero design, all of it was impressive for 1976. I love this car. Why don't you marry it? (laughs) (laughs) Because legally I can't. I've been trying. I've been lobbying. Ooh, this thing is sick. Yeah. Whoa. Classic. It's got a big old freaking roof scoop, but it's an open top. Roof scoop. Roof scoop and buggy. (laughs) Roof scoop and buggy. It's got a huge uh, wing on the back. Big old wing. Big old roof scoop and buggy. <laughs> Holy shit, it's sixteen hundred pounds. That's oh, fun. Yeah, this thing scoots. This thing scoots. It scoots. It's got the scoot and bag in the big old wang. <laughs> as Nolan just said, the Porsche weighed in at a feathery sixteen hundred pounds and pushed five hundred and forty horsepower to the sticky tires. It was also the first car ever entered into Le Mans with its very own. Spinny Boy, the very first turbo car at Le Mans. No way. Wow. Wow. That was the newest guy on the block. The more standard cars at the race that year, uh, like the Grand Touring cars, Mirage M8 pushed 400 horsepower out of its Cosworth DVF V8. We talk about that motor quite a bit. Yeah, that's a, that's a ubiquitous motor. Legendary motor. 
and it weighed closer to a ton. The tide was turning with turbos making their move, but either way, these cars were wildly different than the whips McGriff and Don LeBay brought from America. NASCAR wasn't really pushing the envelope with technology. They were more just taking crazy factory cars and making them crazier. These monstrosities weighed in at close to 3,500 pounds, almost a full ton heavier than their European competition. The motor alone in the Charger weighed almost 900 pounds. And that doesn't even include the 15 cases of Olympia beer in the trunk. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they made almost 600 horsepower, but so did the Porsche, and it weighed like half as much. The Americans were going to need some of that beer to deal with the actual race. So they got drunk <laughs> and started thinking. So they drank 17 Olympias and got a mild buzz. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. You guys ever have hams? Yeah. Hams is good. I like hams. That's a Minnesota beer? I've drinking beer from every state. There's Yingling, which I, you know, yeah, whatever. I like Yingling. Really? Well, you grew up in Kentucky, so you probably had it uh, more readily available when you were, you know, the formative years of your drinking. I think I had Yingling in, uh, for the first time in, like, Brooklyn. Oh. Chia. With the Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I was hanging out with Ad-Rock. He's like, yo, want a young, youngling? And I was like, sure. <laughs> sure. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. During practice, all eyes were on the big Dodge as it ripped out onto the course. The car was louder than anything the track had ever seen before. The thunderous hemi crackled as McGriff powered around the first few corners. Then it was his time to shine. The Molson Strait was where armchair racing experts hoped the Charger and Torino would win the day. On his first practice run, McGriff pedaled down, rocketed to more than 200 miles per hour, blowing past the little Porsches who could barely reach 150 by the time they got down the straight. 
Wow. But what goes fast, Joe, must eventually stop, or at least turn, and the Charger was no exception. At the end of the Mulsanne Strait is the very frustrating Mulsanne Corner, an almost 90-degree turn that required quite a bit of braking and tricky maneuvering. McGriff struggled with the steering wheel and had to slow the massive Charger to an almost crawl to safely make the right-hand turn. While McGriff steered his barge around the corner, the little competitors zipped right past him, laughing, probably with European accents, before they accelerated away and disappeared around the next big corner. For a car that made its living in a circle, it was defeated by an actual turn. Zing! Why do you, why, uh, why do you think it, it went so much faster? Just gearing or what? Because it was heavier and it only had about 50 more horsepower. Or do you think like he was... The Porsches were just had driven on that track before, and they, and they knew they're like, "What are you doing, man? You're gonna have to slow down so much." No, it's got to be gearing because it's geared towards large oval tracks. That it's probably like longer gears. Yeah, I would guess it's gearing. Um, also, the Mulsanne straight back then. Nowadays, there's two chicanes on it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But back then, it was just a wide open, long ass straight. I think it's like two miles long or something. It's really long, three miles even. Um, someone out there is like, it's, it's 3.4 miles, you idiot. <laughs> um, and I apologize, but yeah, it's super long. Uh, so yeah, I would guess it's gearing. Cause I mean, that charger probably only had a four speed in it. Um, and they were geared to go 200 plus, you know, at, at the ovals at Talladega. So makes sense. 3.7 producer Gavin in with 3.7. Oh, that was close. Very close, but he wasn't even right. So, who's really right? (laughs) But turning the car wasn't the only hurdle Team McGriff faced. At home in the good old US of A, the mighty Mopar ran on 103 octane gas. But in France, they were told the best they could get was 93 octane. But through miscommunication or sabotage or bad conversion rates or what have you, it turns out French 93 is really American 88 octane. The low-octane gas devastated the Hemi. It was pre-igniting, which is when the combustion happens in the cylinder before the spark plug fires, which is pretty bad for a motor. Yeah. Yeah, really bad for performance. It puts too much pressure inside the cylinder, and then the pistons are forced to compress already heated, expanding gases. Not good. That's what Freddie Mercury wrote that song about, is talking about a Hemi. (laughs) So we talked about earlier, like, the preparations. We mentioned that they lowered the compression in the motor... Um, because this gas, that's why, you know, if you have too high compression, it, you know, when you have a super high compression motor, you need high octane gas. And that's why turbocharged engines like today, that's why you need that premium, like 93 octane gas. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know the lower, the octane number, the easier it explodes. So this race engine needed very high octane gas. You got anything that you want to explode. Yeah. You might be like, oh, I'll go with premium. But Joe Weber told you <laughs> to get lower octane gas if you want to explode anything. Wink Wink Nation is a terrorist group? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Back at Lamar, the low octane gas did pretty much what you think it would do to the engine and sent a piston through the hood. The McGriffs didn't pack too many spare motors, so they lowered the compression of the car as low as they could, 
and said a prayer to the Holy Trinity for GM and Chrysler that they would keep the piston inside the motor. But they didn't. McGriff managed to qualify and landed 47th out of 55 spots on the starting line. For a brand new entry at Le Mans, it wasn't that impressive, but at least they weren't last. That <laughs> honor went to Don LaVey's Torino, which had such a terrible showing during practice that the last place spot was pretty much a pity gift. On race day, the totally expected happened. Don LaVey's Ford Torino did a bit better than the Charger with the low octane gas. The Torino held tight and managed to circle the track for more than 11 hours. After the 104th lap, though, the transmission gave up the ghost and exploded into a million pieces. Exploded. I mean, that's a, a good point. Not only were these engines not meant to run on this gas, nothing in a stock car was built to run for 11 hours, much less 24 hours. Yeah. And there's a lot more shifting at Le Mans mm-hmm. than... Even like a Riverside road course, you know, I mean, NASCAR does did road courses, but like this is just a much longer course. And to your point, James, just a much longer race. Yeah. One thing the NASCAR racers didn't prepare for was the absolute hell that Le Mans puts transmissions through. Those beefy four speeds were averaging 22 gear shifts per lap, and they couldn't keep up because in most NASCAR races, drivers don't even shift 22 times during a whole race weekend. That's not true, but <laughs> hey, put it in a high gear and go. Uh, yeah, I mean, on the oval, you just you eventually get up to yep. fourth gear, and then you just and you go. The only times you're shifting is when you're on pit lane. Anyway, the high speed tear just tore the transmissions apart. McGriff, though he qualified higher than Don Levay, didn't do as well during the big race. After having burned through two out of three motors during practice, there's no room for mistakes. But mistakes happen. And on the second lap, the Chargers motor exploded, engulfing the front of the car in flames and ending any hope of victory for the big old stock car. So who won that year? It was the turbocharged Porsche 936. The zippy little car completed 2,963.39 miles in the 24-hour time span and averaged 123.50 miles per hour the whole time. Wow. The Americans didn't even complete enough laps to be ranked. Dang. The Americans faced an endless amount of obstacles. They were too big. They were too loud. They couldn't turn corners. Could not blow up their cars. They can't tell left from right. They have a heart condition. (laughs) They face cultural differences and language barriers, and apparently numbers work differently when it comes to rating gasoline in different countries. It was all just so different. McGriff and Don LeVay brought knives to a gunfight, and of course, they got shut down. Imagine that Porsche 936 at Talladega. It would get destroyed both speed-wise and when the Intimidator pushes up on their lightweight rear end and teaches them how rubbing is racing. But when they were outclassed and outgunned, the NASCAR teams that showed up to France were respected. It helped that they were tossing beers around like Stone Cold Steve Austin, (laughs) but still, the drivers were there for each other. There was no beef on the track. The guys in their tiny cars showed up and raced right alongside those barges, and they were happy to do it. No one car can do it all. But there was one day back in June of 1976 where a couple of guys had the balls to think that a stock car was a Swiss Army knife 
that could win Le Mans. Obviously, it wasn't. <laughs> but there's nothing more American than thinking it and trying to prove it. Plus, they got a trip to Europe out of the whole deal. Trey Bien, look at all these French girls' armpits. Have you guys been to the beach yet? They don't wear no tops or nothing. <laughs> yeah, so what do we have to say about this? This is a fun little story. I don't think that those guys thought that they were going to go over there and win. I thought they were like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a marketing thing between Bill France and Lamont, you know? Yeah, it's like in uh, it's like in Rocky, uh, I forget which number, but when he fights uh, Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, going on, it's like going on WWE or whatever. It's like... Wait, Rocky fought Hulk Hogan in one of the movies? Yeah, in like an exhibition. And that's like what this is. It was, it was marketing, like Nolan said. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah it would be cool. If we built uh, awareness of our sport in Europe. So, yeah, sure. We'll send some stuff over there. It's like playing a, an MLB game at Wimbledon. Exactly. That's what they did. They did that last year or two years ago. And the British people love Yankees and Red Sox. Wait, they played a game at Wimbledon? Yeah. It's big enough it for a like baseball a, it field? It was like a dinger fest, too. It was like like <laughs> 12 to something, 12 to 10 or something. Didn't they play an NFL game? Yeah, they Europe do that too? every year. Yeah, they do that at uh, O2 Stadium, right? They also did one in Germany, I think. And now there's like uh, there's like some, uh, you know, German football, American football leagues popping up in Germany. They're going to play this year at London's Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tottenham, you guys, what kind of crossover sports would you like to see between Americans and Europeans? Hmm. War. (laughs) God. I want to see like a cricket match where all the Dodgers go and play cricket. I think they'd destroy them. I'd like to see a stadium truck at Le Mans. That'd be funny. (laughs) Just running over all the the P1 cars. (laughs) But dude... Think about it. Like a like a Baja truck, those are designed to go thousands of miles over super rough conditions. It'd probably, it'd probably take on Cirque de la Sorte, no problem. Dude, put some freaking... Okay, okay. They don't run like off-road tires. They run like slicks on them. That'd be sick. They should have like... Um, like on in horse racing, there's like the, the dirt. But then on the inside, a lot of times, there's turf. Uh-huh. So they should run... Oh, a separate track interesting. at the same time interesting. with like ramps and stuff. And they jump over the track at some points. Yeah, it jumps over the track at some point. Dude. This is like the most American <laughs> reimagining of like, yeah, yeah. what if they jump over stuff and they drink beer and like yeah, dude. BJ Baldwin's there. He's got his gun. <laughs> <laughs> we, we bring out Bryce Menzies and Travis Pastrana. <laughs> uh, uh That'd be cool. Kid Rock can play. Kid Rock's there. He's hanging out in the paddock. He doesn't know what the hell's going on, but he's having a great time. <laughs> Uncle Cracker comes out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> he changes his lyrics to Sweet Home Mulsane. <laughs> I'm uh, a French a badass. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. 
This is good stuff, <laughs> this guys. Is, we need to pitch this to you know. If the FIA is listening to this episode, hit us up. <sighs> they are. They keep. Uh, they listen to every episode and they send us rule changes almost every week. <laughs> Is it all the hosts must be 170 pounds next season? <laughs> I know, which is impossible. It's no impossible. Re- we can't do it. How are we going to be funny if we're not chunky? <laughs> <laughs> we need just a little bit of insecurity. Yeah, nobody wants to see like a funny guy who's like also in great shape. Yeah, not great shape. You got to to be funny. To be funny, you either got to be over 220 or under 135. Yeah. And John Hamm is the exception but john he can be funny but john ham's not actually funny john ham's hot guy funny yeah where he's it's his confidence yeah if you want to listen to a podcast where people are hot guy funny it's an audio format so you can go ahead and do that but yeah john ham's like funny like oh huh, that was pretty funny yeah like he's it's it's surprising because he's not completely terrible yeah that's like when i see drake be funny i'm like oh he's not terrible Yeah, you're just, like, kind of (laughs) self-aware. Yeah. (laughs) It's like when everyone thought uh, Blake, uh, what's his name from the Clippers? Blake Griffin? Yeah, everyone thought Blake Griffin. Everyone's like, oh, Blake Griffin is so funny. He's, like, on Funny or Die. It's like, no, he's not funny. You're surprised that he can talk. Deliver a line. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's my my biggest pet peeve is when they get sports st- stars to do a you know like the be the, be the straight man in a commercial, where it's like you know some guy like Dave Christensen is being crazy, and then you know Chris Paul's like, whoa, that's crazy, <laughs> man. <laughs> like those Michael Jordan Haynes commercials where guys yeah. like I got bacon neck. Yeah, he's like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> hey, you want to go to McDonald's? Maybe play. I'll play you one on one for it. No, nah, man, that's crazy. Imagine playing one on one against Jordan for a Big Mac for a freaking number three meal. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You just throw it elbows. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I need those fries, man. Those fries are getting cold. We gotta end this. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you very much for listening this week. Uh, Very interesting story. I can't wait to jump a Baja truck over the track next year. (laughs) Uh, Follow my boys on all social media. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow James at James Pumphrey. Very easy to remember. At James Pumphrey, P-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y, because I love you. (laughs) And follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Uh, hey, if you want to get in contact with the show, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. Be kind. Keep it juiced. Wink, wink, nation. No, dude, <laughs> you don't. They are a sleeping giant. They are a sleeping giant, dude. You do not want to wake up the giant. <laughs> 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 ah, and see you next time. <laughs> okay.